Welcome into the sixth edition of the Sports Roundtable and this March the 27th, 2019, being brought to you by Three Guys Fitness in Reedsville. Mention you heard this ad on 96.7. Re- receive $5 off your initial membership fee. Buy shortcuts in Morgantown with a $12 haircut on Tuesday. And buy Brewhaha where the coffee beans are brewed in-house and the coffee is delicious. Today, we are talking about the debacle game against Coastal Carolina, where the Mountaineers men's basketball team was absolutely taken to town on their own court. Then we'll be talking about the Pittsburgh Pirates and their opening day roster as they open their season tomorrow against the Cincinnati Reds in Cincinnati. And with that, I want to welcome in Kelly Gamble and Tom Host. Gentlemen, how are you? Okay. Always a pleasure once again to be here, Aaron. Alrighty, guys, so today we're talking about the Mountaineers game and the loss against Coastal Carolina. I don't think any of us saw this coming. The Mountaineers lost the game 109-91, to the most points in a loss given up in the history of the Coliseum. Kelly, I know me and you were both there, and we got to witness it firsthand. What did you think about the, the how that game turned out? Well, first and foremost, my first question as we was at the game was, where is Derek Culver? Uh, come to find out that uh, Coach Huggins, uh, of course, disciplined him, set him for the first half because he was actually late showing up for the game. So with that being said, they got off on the wrong foot right off the bat. Uh, a young man who, again, was uh, up for freshman of the year in the Big 12, not being out there. They get down by 14 in the first half. Uh, I think that we all expected the Mountaineers to come back in the second half, especially when we saw Culver come onto the floor. However, I don't know that I've ever seen such a shooting display, which is also bad defense, but uh, Coastal Carolina was hitting everything that they put up. You had a kid that was averaging 12 points a game that scores over 30. Um, Coastal Carolina, give give them uh, credit. They uh, shot the lights out. But, uh, no, nobody saw it coming. Everybody expected the Mountaineers to be in the championship and win the championship of this tournament. Uh, With that run that they made the Big 12 tournament, everybody was excited. They had a bigger fan base uh, against Coastal than they did the opening night against Grand Canyon. And there was a lot of people let down, and I think the most important person that was let down was Bob Huggins himself. He made the quote that he, of course, did not see this coming. Uh, The kids have been playing hard, but in this particular game, it kind of was a reflection upon the season. So when we end this season, 15 and 21, we go back to see the things that occurred during the season, which was lackadaisical play, turnovers, uh, not hustling, not getting back on defense, and most importantly, leaving the wide-open three, and they made us pay for it, Aaron. Well, the one thing with you saying about them leaving open the wide-open threes, I know Coastal Carolina, they shot almost 47% from the three-point range throughout the game, and in the first half, they shot 43%. In the second half, they were 6-for-12 from the three-point line, so they just got better in the second half. They didn't get worse. The Mountaineers got better shooting-wise, but it was already too too little, too late by that Normally time. when you score 91 points, especially in the Coliseum, you expect a victory. So to give up 109 points, again, it's not something that we're accustomed to over the years for a Bob Huggins coach team, which is usually known for tough defense and rebounding. Uh, they out-rebounded us, and that's something that nobody expected coming into this game was to be out-rebounded by Coastal Carolina. Uh, so there is no doubt that uh, Coach Huggins, again, is uh, – uh, not happy with the results, and it just seems to me, if you listen to the post-game press conference, Coach Huggins talked a lot about discipline. He talked a lot about values and work ethic and the things that he said he let his guard down 
uh, throughout this season, and he said he will no longer compromise. So I do believe, and again, all year long, the one thing I give Coach Huggins credit for, he said, this is my team, I recruited them, and it's my fault, I'll fix it. I do believe he will. Um, so, you know, basically we I think that we have a good nucleus coming back next year, and also if uh, Sagabal Canate comes back strong, healthy, and with the right mind, if Culver comes back with the right attitude, uh, and, of course, we have uh, Sheboy coming in next year, too. We could have one of the best front lines. And with the experience that McCabe and Matthews Jr. and Haley has, along with the newcomers, uh, I expect the Mountaineers to compete next year and do well. But the discipline is going to have to start, and Coach Huggins is going to make sure that that occurs. So I don't see him ever giving in again. He made that comment during his press conference, and I truly believe that Coach Huggins will be the disciplinarian that he's always been. And I'll tell you that that's what he spoke about. Kids this day and age, they feel entitled. They feel like they can do what they want, when they want, how they want. And Coach Hugs is going to get back to the old school, the way that he knows how to coach and make sure that these kids are disciplined. And if not, he's not going to wait till halfway through the season to dismiss players. He is going to make sure that they play the Bob Huggins style and play hard and, and tough and make sure that they are disciplined. Okay. Well, uh, the one thing I want to bring, I want to bring Tom in on this one. What uh, what did you think about just the Mountaineer season in general and just how it ended? Was it fitting that it would end this way? No, it wasn't fitting. Uh, actually, I thought they would win, but I think Coastal Carolina more or less shell-shocked them, shooting-wise, shooting over 60%. And uh, the Mountaineers just wasn't built to come back. I think with I think you had to get off Culver being out, and when we were there, we were sitting there. You could hear the crowd saying, "We want Culver," and Coach Huggins even pointing at Culver, saying, "This is basically what a, when you're not accountable, and he didn't hold the team accountable this year. This is what caused it." And Coastal Carolina came into this game like this was their national title. They wanted to win that game, and they came in. They they punched a Power Five school in the mouth going into that game. I mean they. Uh, just to just caveat on what he said, they they shell shocked the Mountaineers. The Mountaineers they, were not ready for that game. They did. And I think the Mountaineers thought that. I think they thought that they were going to walk all over them. Another thing that I was talking to you before we even started this podcast this evening is I kind of changed my tempo of if they should have played in a CBI tournament stemming from this loss. I was listening to other podcasts and just listened to about the CBI game and how the Mountaineers treated this game. I don't think they treated it with, for what it was worth. This game meant something to Coastal Carolina. The Mountaineers didn't treat it that way. I think if they would have went into the offseason after the Big 12 title game with the way they won, the way they shocked Texas Tech, and the way they played their hearts out against Kansas, and Kansas was the better team that day, and it wasn't because the Mountaineers didn't try. If they would have left this season with the Big 12 title game, we would have all been sitting here saying, Coach Huggins has got turned around. Oh. But now since they lost to Coastal Carolina, you realize that that big ugly monster is still in the front, is still is still right in front of them. Yeah, went in the first two games of the Big 12 tournament. Uh, like I said, they, they could have went to the title game if they beat Kansas, but uh, they did have a nice run. And we got to remember that Coach Ellis on the other sideline is not somebody who's just a, a mid-major coach. Cliff Ellis has coached uh, Division One. He coached, coached at Clemson, uh, South Carolina. He's uh, South Alabama, Auburn. This is a man who has coached uh, in the Power Five conferences, and he's a good coach. He has He's right behind Bob Huggins when it comes to victories. So you can't ever take for granted any team, and 
there's 300 and some Division One college basketball teams. And on any given night anymore, it seems like if you don't show up, you can't just show up because of the name on your uniform, the name on your jersey. And in this case, Coach Ellis had them prepared and ready, and I agree that uh, our kids wasn't ready, and they were shell-shocked. And, uh, again, when you shoot the lights out the way they did, you got to be prepared every night, and I don't care who you're playing. Um, we uh, almost lost to Jacksonville State early in the year. We, lost, we won by two points in the Coliseum. And when someone hears Jacksonville State, they're like, you know, who's that? And in the same way, us as fans probably are saying, who's Coastal Carolina? Well, Coastal Carolina proved who they are, and uh, you know I wish them well throughout the remainder of the CBI tournament. But uh, I think that you're right when it comes to the fact that if we would have went into the offseason showing that we played well, I think the fact that we just got blown out in the Coliseum is going to help these kids to understand in the offseason how much work that they had to put into it for, to be ready for next season. Okay. Well, the one thing, another thing I want to ask Tom on this one, now that the season's over with and now we got this nightmare of a season over with, do you think this was the worst team in Mountaineer basketball history and in Coach Huggins' career? Do you think it was the worst? It was definitely the worst in Huggins' career and the worst I've ever seen. I don't know about West Virginia history, but definitely Huggins' career. I mean, it just goes. It just goes to show you when you have uh, the the just the the just the level of coaching experience that Bob Huggins have. You wouldn't expect a season like this coming into the season when you're preseason ranked thirteenth in the nation. You had a very good uh, power forward in Issa Ahmad that you thought was going to lead this team with Sagaba Kanante, Beetle Bolden. You got Jeremiah, Jeremiah Haley that was coming in. Jermaine. Jermaine, Jermaine Haley, and then um, you got, and, you, and then you had Culver that nobody expected to do what he done. And Wesley and, Harris as well, who also was at, dismissed Lamont from the West. team. Um, yeah, I mean the the bottom line is at the end of the year you had four players that were starting that was no longer two of them was no longer there, three of them no longer there when it came to uh, Bolden as he put his name in the transfer portal as well. He had injuries all year long, chose to transfer. So four starters that started the season when we were preseason ranked thir- thirteen no longer there, and then you get some continuity when you get the young kids playing together uh, toward the Big 12 tournament and getting that first-round win against Grand Canyon. So everybody expected this team that was young, that had enthusiasm and energy, uh, they just didn't display it. But, again, I think it all started with the fact that Derek Culver does not play, does not start, and then you lose that continuity. You lose maybe a little confidence, and everybody thought that with Culver coming in the second half that they would pick it up and – it went the other way. Uh, Coastal Carolina went up by as many as 27 points uh, during the game. And no doubt, they were shell-shocked. We as fans were shell-shocked. Uh, unfortunate for me that my grandson's first game, <laughs> he got to see the most points scored by the opposing team in Coliseum history. So my grandson's five years old, and I'm not sure that he'll ever remember the team that we played, but he had a good time, and it was important for me just to be there as a fan with my grandson. Well, well, they saw history. I know I made the video board twice. I, I made I made our section proud. You absolutely did, Aaron. You got the big board two times. Aaron uh, put on quite the display of dance moves. Um, the one the one uh, guy that really just bothered me that whole game, and I hate keying in on any particular player. It's Lamont West. He was tied for the total points scored in that game, considering the Mountaineers scored over ninety points themselves. But he looked like one of the like he just wasn't into that game, and he still scored twenty one points. 
Well, I mean, he got hot a little bit late, but uh, the biggest thing that I think Lamont West needs to do is hit the weight room in the offseason. Uh, he's a forward, but most of the, his game is basically he looks as though he's a shooting guard. But Lamont West is a forward, and Lamont West is going to have to get stronger, uh, especially defensively. We know he can shoot the ball when he's open, but Lamont West is going to have to get stronger defensively, and he's going to have to put on a little extra weight, hit that weight room, and be prepared mentally and physically next year. But I think Lamont coming in, if he's coming back as a senior, that he is going to have to play with more physicality. Okay. Okay, gentlemen, I want to open up questions for both of you. This is one I'm going to ask the both of you. What do you think the biggest question, Mark, and that and that question may be already there, what do you think the biggest question going into the off season is for the Mountaineer men's basketball team? Any one of you guys can take a shot at this. Well, I think the biggest uh, – they, they need uh, – buy into Huggins' scheme, and be disciplined? Uh, no doubt that discipline's got to be the number one thing. Uh, I think I've said all year long, whenever we was actually doing the blitz, uh, Aaron, that this is the most undisciplined team that I'd ever seen since I've been a young boy about eight years old. I'm 50 years old now. So I agree uh, with Tom that discipline has to be the number one thing. And then it's getting back to just playing uh, tough-nosed, hard-nosed basketball and, again, the Huggins system that we've all known that he wins with defense and, and rebounding, and they're going to have to get back to that. So I think that the conditioning in the offseason, the willpower for these kids to want to play and be successful, and Huggins not to give in as he made that comment again after this game, he can no longer compromise, and he's going to have to get back to that old-school, hard-nosed, uh, hard-knocks teaching. And those kids are probably going to spend a lot of time on the treadmill if they're not doing what they're supposed to. So I look forward to next year. It, it's I'm already wondering who's coming back and who's not. Uh, we already know that this team was shook up a whole lot this season. Again, four starters that started the season, no longer there at the end. So I look forward to the possibilities, though, of having one of the best front lines if they play hard and buy into Coach Huggins' system. We have an opportunity to possibly have one of the best front courts in the history of Mountaineer basketball if they do what Bob Huggins coaches them to do. Well, I, could, I couldn't agree more of what you guys just said. Um, I want I want to leave it at that when it comes to the Mountaineer men's basketball season. This season was a nightmare. Um, I am glad that they played in the CBI tournament now. I can't believe I would change my stance on that because it let the Mountaineers know, it let Bob Huggins know that this problem is not fixed and the problem is still very prevalent. Folks, I want to remind you that this segment was being brought to you by Three Guys Fitness in Reedsville, Shortcuts in Morgantown, and Parks Superstore and Brewston Mills, and also Brouhaha. Now we're going to be transitioning into our second segment. Everybody knows opening day is upon us. Spring training is over with. The Pirates are now in Cincinnati, and they will be getting ready to open up their season tomorrow at 4 o'clock at Great American Ballpark as they take on Luis Castillo and the Cincinnati Reds, and the Pirates will be matching up with Jamison Tyon and their team. A lot of questions go into this offseason, and now it's time to play the games, the games that matter. Do you guys think the Pirates spent enough in the offseason to remain competitive in the NL Central and to remain competitive in the NL playoff race? I think they spent enough to be competitive. I don't see them being in a wild card this year. I think they'll have a winning record. I think the fact that they had a winning record last year probably amazed many people. So most of the pieces that they have from that team are back. Of course, Polanco right now is on the 
disabled list, but I think that whenever he gets back as well, if they can fill in that position in right field, I personally think that the pitching will give them a chance. I think that uh, with the experience that they have in the pitching staff, that hopefully the bats will catch up as the weather heats up. And uh, uh, right now I know that uh, they've had a kind of up-and-down preseason. You can't always really go by what you see in preseason, but uh, uh, Gung apparently has that uh, third-base position. If he hits as many home runs per bat as what he did in preseason, then uh, you know it's hard to tell what type of numbers that he can put up. But uh, but right now I think that the pitching will keep him in games and give him an opportunity, and I, I agree. I'd like to see him at least have a – a winning record, but I, I don't think that they will make the playoffs. And uh, But I do think that they have an opportunity, if they stay healthy and get Polanco back doing what he does, that they have an opportunity to have a winning record. Well, Tom, I know as much as I talk to you when it comes in terms of Jung Ho Gung, I think you said he's going to be the dark horse of the Pittsburgh Pirates when it comes to their power production this year. Um, what would you have to say about his spring training? I know he hit six, seven home runs in spring training, which is a pretty high number when you when you compare it to the number of uh, bats they get, which is very limited in spring training. Do you still think that Jung Ho, uh, with the exception if he gets injured, will have an outstanding season? I think he'll be the wild card for the Pirates if he stays healthy. I see him leading the team in home runs, possibly between 40 and 45 home runs this year. And I see Corey Dickerson probably leading in batting average. So you say, would you say Corey Dickerson would possibly be a candidate for Silver Slugger when it comes to left fielders? Yeah, this year I I, I see him coming around, and uh, I see him batting over 300 this year if he stays healthy. Well, Corey Dickerson hit over 300 last year, and he got the gold glove for the left fielder, he so he's wearing that, that gold plate on top of his, uh, on his mitt, the Rawlings mitt. So I think... I think Corey Dickerson is going to be the man in your outfield with the veteran presence of Starling Marte. It just seems like just yesterday I watched Starling Marte hit a home run on his very first major in league Houston. pitch against the Houston Astros at Minute Maid Park. So I think I think our outfield's set. I know right now right field's a huge question mark with Lonnie Chisholm getting hit in the hand a couple games back. They don't know if he's quite ready yet, so it's a toss-up if you're going to have Chisholm playing right starting off, Pablo Reyes, who had one heck of a September call-up last year, or if you're going to have the guy we signed in a minor league contract with an invite to spring training, the former great Melky Cabrera. I think my biggest uh, issue last year was the inconsistency of Josh Bell. I think that everybody was excited about Josh Bell, and I think the inconsistency that he showed last year, if we can get him – uh, hitting 275, 280, putting up 30 home runs. I think that's what his expectations are, and that's what we all have expectations for him. And also having the opportunity to see Adam Frazier um, get many at-bats. I, I think that Adam Frazier, when I first saw him, had an opportunity to possibly one day win a batting title. Uh, but he's never really got the overall bats at-bats and got the, the consistency uh, with the bat. So I'm looking forward to seeing him starting all year. And if Josh Bell does what he needs to do, I think if Marte and Dickerson have uh, the years that they should and Polanco comes back again healthy and um, that we have an opportunity. So uh, that I'm really looking forward to Frazier, though, starting throughout the season. I'm, I'm excited for opening day. And like I've told everybody around the station, I'm heading up to PNC Park next Thursday to watch them play the Cincinnati Reds. But it'll be their second home game or third home game, rather, of the season against the Cincinnati Reds on Thursday night next week, April 4th. 
Um, a question I didn't ask you guys beforehand, but I'm going to release my picks, but I want to get your guys' picks as well. Kelly, who's your AL and NL Cy Young Award winners? Uh, You know what? I'll give you the teams that I think is going to win, but as far as who's going to win the AL and National League uh, Cy Young, uh, too early for me, Aaron. I, I can't really give I don't have no idea. I mean, with the right now, I, I'm not the – I don't think I can even give you that yet, but I will give you who I think is going to be in the World Series. In the World Series, I think next year that Houston does it again this year, Houston Astros again, and in the National League, I'm going to say, even though the Dodgers lost, uh, I'm going to go back. I think somehow, some way, they got some young hitters that I still really like, and they got rid of some pieces, I know, but I'm taking the Los Angeles Dodgers against the Houston Astros in the World Series. Wow. I, I, I know I disagree with you on that one, but I'll, I'll wait to release my That's picks okay. on the end. Uh, Tom, what is your AL and NL Cy Young Award winners this year? If, if, you, had, if you had to choose right now preseason predictions, day before opening training, who's going to be the best pitcher in the NL and who's going to be the best pitcher in the AL? I see it, Matt Scherzer being uh, the AL the nl and uh al i don't i really wouldn't know you know i'm, I'm gonna throw out here who i think is gonna be the al cy young award winner i have a feeling it's gonna be between justin verlander who just signed a new two-year deal with the houston astros two years 66 million dollars i mean the major league owners are just throwing money out there this year jacob Degrom told you that would happen jacob Degrom, it did it did open up a whole new camera wars jacob Degrom, i think he just signed a five-year deal with the mets justin verlander signed a year we all know about mike trout's monster signing which means now bryce harper's not going to get his man in philadelphia in the year 2021 because he was going he was going to try to get him after next year to come to the Philadelphia Phillies. We all know that's not going to happen now. Paul Goldschmidt signed a five-year deal with the with the St. Louis Cardinals. So it just goes to show you with the big contracts that are coming out of spring training and the free agent signings that are happening, the owners don't want to let their players go to the free agent market because then they will it just turns into a bidding war. And I mean it's it's just astounding that the amount of money that's being thrown out in baseball compared to the NFL, where a $100 million contract for an NFL quarterback, that's a huge deal. But $100 million in baseball is nothing. Do you think it makes the fans excited? I'm going to ask you. Do you think it excites the fans for these type of contracts, or do you think it angers them and upsets them with the amount of money that's being shelved out to, to baseball players to do and play a game that they love? I would only say this. I say the fans would only be mad at a contract like that if it's detrimental to the team where it totally incapacitates the team to where they cannot go out and sign and maintain their team around them. The Los Angeles Angels just signed a huge TV deal which allows them to spend that money on Mike Trout and still maintain their team. But if you're talking about a team like the Pittsburgh Pirates signing a deal like that, it would literally eat up. The Pirates have like a $75 million is what they're spending this year on all their players. If they were to, say, have signed Manny Machado or Bryce Harper, that would have pushed them over $100 million, and it would have ate up over a third of their total amount of money that they're spending, which would have inhibited them from 
buying any other player or trading. And what about ticket prices? Is ticket prices going to start going up and booming to the point where a family can no longer go to a baseball game? I think that's the biggest fear of many people is when this money's being shelved out that the ticket prices will eventually go up and it'll be harder for a family to go out to truly enjoy. And we're talking about blue-collar families that just, you know, have middle middle-of-the-road incomes that would love to go to a ballpark and take uh, mom, dad, and, you know, two or three kids. And the prices that's going up with the concessions and the ticket prices because of the money that's being uh, divvied up, um, I just think it's making it harder for families, again, to go out and enjoy themselves at a ball game because they work hard for the money that they get. And so I, I just I hope that it don't get to the place that middle-income families can no longer enjoy a day at the ballpark. Tom, I'm going to put the same question he asked me up to you. Do you think this upsets and angers fans, the amount of money that's being spent on these players? Well, does it upset you that somebody like Mike Trout, over the next 12 years, is earning $430 million, $70 per minute, and over, like I think it's like six grand an hour he's earning. Does it anger you? Does it upset you? Does it concern you that it's going to take ticket prices to where uh, just a normal family can't go out and enjoy a day at the ballpark? Uh, it really don't upset me if it really don't hurt the team. Uh, if they put a winning product out there, even I would be willing to pay double to go to a game if the team is really trying to push a good product out there. Which, I think that goes – I think I, I – Which th- leads me to one more thing, though. Again, just the, the fact of market value as far as owners, and that's the thing that, Aaron, I've always told you. And When you have owners that have more money than others, and, again, you being a big Pittsburgh Pirate fan as well as myself from the time that I was a young boy, uh, is the lower market teams ever going to have an opportunity to compete whenever they don't have the money? Well, and, I, and that's what you go to say about the cap. When there's no cap in baseball, that's where these teams, the New York Yankees, Los Angeles Angels, the Los Angeles Dodgers, can go out and spend ginormous, amount, ginormous amounts of money and get these and just soak up these superstars to where you basically got these big, uh, big kind of corporation-like teams to where they control how baseball goes. You got teams like the Los Angeles Dodgers – who they get, that's kind of the Pirates. The Pirates get the players that just aren't good enough to play for those teams. And that's no disrespect to the players. It's When you got the team on the field, that is some of the best baseball players in the world out there on that baseball field. Major League Baseball, Major League baseball has consistently put out a good product. And I think their ratings are getting even higher than the NFL in regards to how the NFL is limiting hitting and everything like that. That'll always be my biggest concern, the fact that you uh, don't have the cap the same way you do in the NBA, uh, in the NFL, and as far as the NHL. That baseball is just a totally different uh, monster when it comes to the amount of money that one team can afford. And, you know, as long as the fans go in the seats, they're going to continue to have this many teams. But if it keeps going the way it is, you know, one of these days you're going to be down to where you're only going to have 12 to 14 baseball teams. Well, I know, I know. Uh, baseball is it's it's inflation is just going to get that way. It's going to get where to nobody's going to be able to spend money, and you're going to have to have a good paycheck to get in. It's going to become almost like corporate, like going in there. You're going to have to be business businesses giving you tickets to get in there. It's way out like getting the Super Bowl. 
Look how much a Super Bowl ticket is clear up in the upper deck. It's over a grand to watch a Super Bowl to where you can hardly even see it that far up. So it just makes you wonder, is that how it's going to get in baseball? I mean, well, with that, I'm going to release my NL and AL Cy Young Award winners. I think out of the NL, I think Jacob deGrom is going to have a good back-to-back season. I don't know if he I, – I, I think he's going to win. I think, I think Jacob deGrom – or Max Scherzer is going to come out of the NL. Max Scherzer from the Washington Nationals. Out of the AL, I think I already said Justin Verlander. I just like how he pitches. Um, and I think there's another guy who has not been signed who I think is very capable of winning the Cy Young, and that's Dallas Keuchel from the Houston Astros, who still remains unsigned. And it makes you wonder, why is he holding out, or why hasn't he gotten signed this close to this close to opening day. He wants a piece of the pie. <laughs> he wants the the same money that he believes that he deserves. I mean, all these big contracts being out there, and you know, we're going to see that more and more too. When I told you, whenever the Bryce Harper deal occurred, you're going to see more owners opening up their pocketbooks a little bit more. Um, and I think now, because of this, you're going to have other players out here that's going to say, you know what? Without pitching, you don't win. And I think some of these pitchers now are going to start, even though they go out there every five days. You're going to see pitchers demand the same type of money that you're paying Mike Trout and Bryce Harper. Well, you look how much they expend their bodies when they go out there on that field. They're throwing 100, 100 pitches at 90 miles an hour the whole time in that summer heat and the dog days of summer. It wears on any individual. It's Pitching, um, pitching wins baseball games and wins the World Series. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, adrenaline plays some factor into that to where you don't even pay attention when you're out there in a high-stress sh- high area. Um, now I'm going to release my World Series picks where I know you disagreed with me on my, on mine. I do not think coming out of the NL, it's going to be the Los Angeles Dodgers for the third straight year in a row. Neil Waldeck, I know he said the Philadelphia Phillies. I don't see the Philadelphia Phillies doing it because the Philadelphia Phillies don't have the starting pitcher. After Aaron Nola, they really don't have anybody else. I like... The Atlanta Braves, they got a good starting five, and you look how far they took the Dodgers in the wild card. I think the Dodgers, I think Clayton Kershaw is on his downhill slide of everything. They lost Yasiel Puig, and they lost another one of those starting pitchers. I can't remember who they got from the Cincinnati Reds, but I don't think that. Out of the out of the AL, I don't see it being the Houston Astros. They lost Dallas Keuchel. I, I think I was one of their main cogs that helped them get as far as they did. The last couple of years, I think it's going to be the Boston Red Sox again. They have they have essentially just reloaded. They haven't really lost anybody. So it's the Boston Red Sox out of the AL and out of the NL. Yet again, I think it's going to be the Atlanta Braves. And I think the Boston Red Sox are going to go back to back. Tom, who's yours? World Series favorites if you had to pick today? Uh, I would say it, for the NL, I personally think it's going to be St. Louis. I think they're going to have a great year. And uh, for AL, I think it's going to be between Boston and New York, and I think it's going to be the year in New York. So, so you say the New York Yankees are going to win it all? Yes. Yeah, that's. I think that's one baseball fan around here does not want to hear the New York Yankees win their twenty eighth pennant. I don't like the Dallas Cowboys. You either love them or hate them. Well, 
Folks, that's going to do it all for this edition of the Sports Roundtable, the sixth edition. Be sure to tweet me at AaronHost97 on Twitter with any suggestions or questions about the show. Or be sure to tweet us at the station's Twitter account at 967WKMM. Remember, this show is being brought to you by Three Guys Fitness in Reedsville, Shortcuts in Morgantown, Brouhaha in Kingwood and Park Superstore in Brewston Mills. Till next time, everybody.